It's 6.27pm. And welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. Oh, midweek Champions League podcasting fixture. <laughs> or something something like that, anyway. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, apologies to those of you that, that bore with us. Bore with us? Bared with us? That put up with the calamity that was on Sunday. But we thought oh. we'd have another swing at it because um, basically our flow was completely interrupted. So here we are. Yeah, no, I think we're technologically speaking, it was an omni shambles on Sunday, so we'll uh, we will we will delve into the world again and hopefully give witty and insightful insight as always. So, how's your week been, Simon? Um, well, so far, um, not too bad considering I was working the bank holiday Monday, um, and uh, I mean I'm off tomorrow because I'm I'm in again this um, I'm in this Saturday and Sunday. So um, so far it's been great, but um, warm weather, a bit too warm for me. Don't really like it, but I appreciate we've waited a long time for decent outdoors weather. So yeah, no, I've I've enjoyed the sun. The sun was was top. Enjoyed the bank holiday weekend. Accidentally found myself in a pub beer garden sun on my head smoked a whole side of salmon when i got home so obviously i was still in reasonable nick and uh, yeah it's all been very jolly so uh yes and uh, i guess it's time for us to look back having had a couple of weeks off ourselves to the tension that we built up before the off for the uh the the portsmouth city elections you know when we knew all the results which way was it going to go when they came together? Would George Magwick be kingmaker? Was it all going to be on a knife edge? How did it all turn out then, Simon? Well, um, despite all the drama, um, it worked out relatively predictably, to be really honest with you. Um, I mean, just to kind of give a bit of um, a, a bit of an idea, um, the, the meeting was actually held um, rather than in the council chamber um, because um, councils aren't, were no longer allowed are no longer allowed to meet virtually because that legislation wasn't continued by the government. Um, they met in the guild hall, um, so there was an arrangement where basically there were rows of tables with people distant um, and um, and ve- you know very few uh, people actually um, watching. Um, some of those were actually there for the um, for the community awards uh, ceremonies, um, which was which was great. Um, and one of the recipients of that was um, was Ashgard Shah, the um, um, who lives who lives on the Highbury Estate where we both live. Yeah, so well lo- done, local well done, lad. Shah. Unfortunately, um, Labour candidate, but we won't hold that against him. And the lad worked <laughs> bloody hard over yes. lockdown, helping folk out. So, yes. fair play to Shah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, lots of lots of really good um, congratulations. But yes, so the group leaders um, introduced their new councillors uh, to the chamber. Um, so in turn, they um, they gave introductions to Charlotte Gerarda, John Smith. Was- Stuart Brown, Daniel Weems, Kimberly Barrett, George Madrick, Ian Holder, Kirsty Miller, Lewis Gosling, and the returning Ryan Brent. So, do they have like walk-on music? Well, no, because basically they stood up where they were sat at, right. at the tables that were at. So, no, there was there was no kind of performing of any. T- oh, and um, the um, the other thing, of course, that happened was the appointment of the new Lord Mayor, which was uh, Frank Jonas, who's. Um, is it his second or his third time as Lord Mayor? Well, he's definitely been round leads the block at least once. Yes, so. um, and the outgoing Lord Mayor uh, Rob Wood, um, as it's not really kind of been a been a great year for Lord Mayoring, um, he's um, being uh, been elected as the Deputy Lord Mayor, which usually kind of tees you up to be the Lord Mayor the following year. So hopefully, this year and the next year won't be anything like the year that we've experienced, um, and in which case. Um, he'll have a he'll have a, a you know a fair a fair swing at it. Um, but yes. So despite it being plan. in the main hall, I'm not getting a great sense of theatre. I mean, I'm not getting, you know, the, the likes of of Daniel Weems striding into the jump around by the House of Pain. I'm I'm not getting a sense of there being any kind of mosh pit. There's there, there's there's nobody. I've I've not got GVJ sort of crowd surfing off the stage it, it's it's in the main guild hall but i'm not getting i'm not getting a i'm not getting a theatrical vibe from it 
Simon, would I be right? There, there, um, no, I mean, there wasn't even a hint of pantomime. There was no one to say, um, you know. He's behind you. Yeah, there was, um, there was no one to say that. Although um, um, Matthew Atkins did have a go at trying to in, in, insert some levity into, um, into proceedings by trying to, trying to crack jokes as he introduced um, most of his new councillors. Um, but they did, um, unfortunately, fall on, on deaf ears. But, um, yeah, they, they kind of, you know, his um, stand-up comedy circuit days I think are numbered but um but yeah so um everyone got introduced um we learned we learned a bit about them and then and then basically we got down to brass tacks um in that um the uh, the new leader of the conservative group which is uh, Matthew Atkins um made his case for a motion or sorry, a vote of no confidence um in the existing leader um, and he made it. He made a case for that. Um, and although it wasn't automatic that they were that a vote would be able to take place, um, Gerald Vernon Jackson, the council leader, agreed that it, it's a, a right and proper thing for the council to air its views actually on who they believe should be actually running the council. So I've got clips. Have of, you got some sound clips? I have got some sound clips, and hopefully they are. They are sound clips. So first, we're going to we're going to hear. Um, we're going to hear uh, Matthew Atkins making his case for basically why he should get to run. He should get to run the council. And here we go. There has been an election in which the Conservative Party received the largest share of the votes, went up by one seat, and which we are now the largest party in the chamber. I think it's correct that uh, the council expressed a view on who should be leader for the coming municipal year. Um, there are differences between the Liberal Democrats and the Conservatives over the way the Council should proceed, particularly on issues like council tax, um, on traffic schemes, um, on uh, certain housing developments around the city. And so I think it is correct that the Council express a view. Um, we have pledged to the city that if we are in the administration, uh, we would freeze council tax this year and we would seek to continue that pledge um, by rebasing council tax for the initial year if we take administration. So that was the, the the crux of of his case as to as to why the blues should should be in charge. Yeah, and to you know again, so factually speaking, the the two are correct. I mean, the in the uh, the total votes cast in the twenty one election, the Conservatives got thirty six percent compared to Labour's twenty eight and the Lib Dems twenty seven. Um, and yeah, again, re reinforcing the core that was at the heart of the Conservatives' local manifesto, which is, vote for us and we will freeze your council tax. Yes. Um, we'll, we'll let Gerald make his response rather than yeah, yeah. Uh, me make yeah, mine, because yeah. I'm sure he's much better at it than I am. Um, here we go. There's a choice to be made. We can either have a Lib Dem-led city or a Conservative-led city. And, and we in this council need to make that clear choice. Councillor Atkins is right that there are differences of vision and of how the city should move forward in a Conservative vision and a Lib Dem vision. The differences are clear, but I just want to highlight a few of them. First, climate change and the climate emergency. This is at the front and centre of what a Lib Dem administration will do. In power, we have, we have made a start, stopping people choosing between heating and eating, helping more of them install solar panels, making Portsmouth Britain's first carbon-neutral port, electrical charging points, expanding what people can recycle and a commitment to go further, an anaerobic digester, promoting walking and cycling. If the Lib Dems are running the city, we have announced we'll create a new cross-cutting cabinet position to concentrate on climate change and the green recovery across the whole council. But this is not all. With the Lib Dems running the city council, finances prudently, it's meant that the city council has withstood the ravages of COVID, but also come in with a three million pound underspend. Again, and, and our commitment is not only to pay the real living wage to our employees, but also to working for, for those working for the council through contractors as well. During the pandemic, the Lib Dems run council managed to secure places for people who are homeless to stay and have now made them permanent. All parties try to run the city council finance as well, but there are real areas of disagreement between a Lib Dem-led city and a Conservative-led Lib led city. So, I tried to kind of get it to the yeah. 
get it to the bullet points. But yeah, there was some there was some real difference. He go, he goes on to talk about um, investment in schools, and he brings up about voting um, voting history um, across uh, across the parties. But really, kind of to speak to the point of um, were the were the local Labour Party in any danger of voting to allow the Conservative administration to um, to take charge? Well, and there, therein lies the, the the interesting crux for me, which is that if I look at the twenty one election, and we did, in in some detail, for me the the whole policy of the Portsmouth Labour Party was to attack the Lib Dems, and if we look at their if we look at their their kind of for me where they made real moves. It was in Central South Sea, it was in Fratton, and it was in Eastney and Craneswater. Now, if I look at the outcome of that, you know, obviously Central South Sea was the big headline where, you know, Steve Pitt was deposed by Charlotte Gerarda. So that that was that was that was their huge win. They got very, very close in Fratton. And you could argue that in Eastney and Craneswater, by their actions, they split the left vote as their, you know, their their share in Craneswater had been very poor historically. Um, but by splitting that vote, they basically let John Smith sneak between them while um, Craig and Matt wrestled for the hearts and minds of the left. Um, and John Smith snuck in to now make Eastley and Craneswater a full house. So I, I guess in my mind, the bit that I sort of struggle with is having targeted the Lib Dems rather than the Conservatives, at the end of the day, they then kind of sort of brushed, their, brushed the dirt off from all of the scuffling and said, yeah, go on, you can win anyway. Um, and that's the bit which I find, I just find a bit puzzling. I do get the anything but the Tories because, you know, that, that, that was Stephen Morgan's mantra in 19 and worked very successfully. But I do find it all a bit odd that they're not attacking the Tories. They're attacking you guys and then giving you a leg up back into power. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm not in a position to be able to understand the rationale of the, But, you know, other parties exist for their own reasons and in much the same way that... Um, Sometimes some people from the left don't understand why the Liberal Democrats exist. Um, we should also remember why the, you know, why the Labour Party exists, and why the different parts of the Labour Party exist, and what, and what kind of they're about. And I guess they'll do what they need to do in order to, uh, in order to reach. Uh, forgive me for misusing the the phrase re political relevance in the on the local council. Portsmouth is a bit weird in that we've got a a blue and red mix for our MPs but we definitely have a switch between uh between blue and golden um for our for our local council so it is it, it's a kind of it, it's a it's a strange it's a strange one in that respect but um yeah it, it is a shame um there are many that would hope that um progressives could work together to not actually kind of try to cannibalize their own vote um and therefore actually um work sensibly to to um, to hamper the attempts of the Conservative Party, um, but as we saw from the from the results show, to be fair, the the Blues really kind of rode rode a wave of um, and whatever people might put that down to, you know, whether that's popularity of the Prime Minister, whether that's vaccine euphoria or, or whatever you you might call that, but even so, that still was that wasn't enough to get um, to get the local Conservatives um, into a position where they were gonna where they're going to be able to run the administration in their own right, and the Labour Party were never going to vote for them to do that, and they'd said so beforehand. They said so in uh, you know after the election and um, before the you know before the full council, they they publicly made that statement. So any any to be fair, anybody trying to hint that that was actually likely was to oh, be fair, wasn't I never thought yeah. they'd vote for us no. no absolutely no that was never going to happen I think the piece for me which is is where we tried to sort of build the tension was was you know the 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 position of abstaining and I think that's where 
you know, ultimately, and again, that would have that would have created an element of risk and jeopardy that they weren't prepared to take, um, obviously, in the end. So, you know, we got to the position where, in the end, I believe it ended sort of 2515. Yep, that's right. Uh, um, so effectively, the Conservatives and Conservative-aligned independents, they have 17 of them, but one of them was the Lord Mayor, so didn't get a vote. And one of them was poorly and wasn't there. So hence, we only got the 15. But the the Labour and the Portsmouth Progressive People Group um, cast in, and George Madgwick himself, cast in with the Leb Dems, which, you know, you kind of, I, I, I guess I understand the, the, the rationale behind that. But I just think it, I just think it makes a very, it makes for a very odd narrative in terms of, you know, we we as the largest party are struggling to get that additional five seats to take us to 22. Labour for me can't seem, I, I can't see any route that would get them even close to that i think they're now on seven or eight but it's ultimately i guess i scratch my head and go well you kind of you you spend x months every three years telling everybody how dreadful the liberal democrats are and they should vote for you instead and then when the dust settles you go oh that was all good fun there you go there's the keys to the kingdom back again so yeah, yeah just but, makes for I think it makes for just odd politics for me. Well, I mean, first, you know? first past the post makes mercenaries of us all, doesn't it? In the sense that um, you aren't necessarily picking uh, picking who you think is the most uh, your most favourable. You're picking sometimes actually you're voting for the person that you you despise the least, or who, or at least you can you can um, you can hold your breath long enough. To um, to vote for someone that is stands well, a chance we'll, of winning we'll against probably, the people. We'll that probably you pick this up on another yeah. show because I think I shared with you in the week I did. And again, you could never map light for light, but I did a mass of of kind of analysis around you know if we went to PR and 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 you know again there's different PR systems aren't there. Mm -hmm. But I think ultimately, and this is where um, you know unless there is a there is a significant change in the next couple of years. This pattern of no overall control seems to look like it, it is going to continue to repeat itself year upon year. Um, yeah, I, yeah. If I'm really honest, when you know, when you when you look at it, what you know, it there isn't a group on the council that are non-conservative, other than their existing, their existing quote unquote independent. Let's, make, let's be clear that it's a sing, it's a singular rather than a, a plural, but who's never going to vote? You know, I can't I can't see situations where where that councillor is going to vote against the Conservatives. But what would they need to do to gain to gain a working majority, or um, at least you know the, at least support from enough councillors? They're they're unlikely to do that, aren't they? Um, so you know to get from their existing their existing sixteen stroke seventeen to the to the glorious 22 that they need to form an administration that would have to be quite quite an earthquake politically for them to be able to do that they, li they literally have to win half the you know nearly have to win half the wards that were up for re-election every year yeah no there's an and it's where it becomes a, a fascinating dynamic in terms of because there are you know there are now clearly you know true blue wards and, and Drayton and Farlington, I think, is the biggest example of that, where I want to say when I looked at it, we pulled 68% of the vote. Yeah, it was something like, it was 62 or 63, I think, but it was it was definitely in the 60s. So yeah, it was, you know, which is, is, yeah. is, um, is a massive majority. So it's an element of, I guess, you know, some things change, some things stay the same. Um, so I, I guess at that point, then, you know, as GVJ is once again anointed as king who, who did he appoint to the round table who got to sit where because obviously i'll um you know. I'll, i shall do that in a second but we should we should cover of course that um gvj i think had, had intended to step down and yes for steve pitt to uh take over take over the, the the throne as it were um but with the um with the shock result in central south sea uh where charlotte gerarda 
won uh, won the ward. Um, was it 112 votes? Yes, um, yeah, it was that so, of that order. So that means that um, that means that well, um, plans had to be revised. So, um, so the new lineup um, in the Lib in the Lib Dem cabinet is uh, Councillor Susie Horton is is the new deputy leader. Uh, she's in goal, uh, which retain and she retains her brief for children, families, and education. Um, the um, the newly elected Kimberley Barrett uh, for Milton um, has um, got the newly newly new cabinet position of climate change and green recovery. Which can... is going to be fascinating, and and for those of you wanting a sneak peek, I think on the thirteenth of June we have got Kimberly coming to join us, so we can uh, we can quiz her about this new cross council. Yes. Does that make her a green czar? I think it does. <laughs> I, th I think so. Uh, ben Dowling uh, takes over culture, leisure, and economic development. Um, so those were, those were some things that Steve Pitt had his had in his portfolio. Uh, Dave Ashmore uh, moves to community safety and environment. Um, Jason Frizzackley takes over health, well-being, and social care, which were the which was previously the brief of Matthew Winnington, um, who um, unfortunately lost in Eastern in Craneswater. I'm sure you will have different words. Uh, Darren Sanders retains housing and preventing homelessness. Hugh Mason, um, Planning and City Development, and Chris Atwell, Communities and Central Services. I realise you haven't got many girls, have you? Um, well, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There are nine cabinet positions that we've just discussed, and three of them are women. Oh, it's Chris... Oh, no, no, sorry, hang on. Am I losing the plot here? So, yeah, Kimberly, Susie, and uh, Lynn. Oh, I missed Lynn. You didn't mention Lynn. Did I not? Oh, I beg your pardon. Sorry, Lynn. You uh, didn't mention Lynn. I, I, some, for some reason, I had a mental mind block and skipped traffic and transport. I don't know why. That's your unconscious bias with your car-hating ways, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. My, my car-hating ways, but at least I don't print loads of leaflets in the East Indian Craneswater about, you know, Changes to Albert Road that were never yeah, going to happen. You've, you've, um, you've, so Linstag um, retains uh, traffic and transportation. We're being playful. Marvelous. So there you are. That is your uh, that is your cast for the next year. And um, yeah, well, it's um, yeah, we will see how it all unfurls. Indeed. And um, yeah, let's reset. Let's put the pieces back to back to their starting place and and see what happens. Um when we go through all of this again um next year yeah because it's um now it's now 2024 isn't it until we get a year off uh yes that's right oh, oh, oh or is it oh yes the actually no the year off should have been this year so it's 2025 sorry so the year off should have been this year but now it'll be um, but we didn't have it this year because last year's were um, local elections were bounced to this year. Um, so although anybody that was um, that ha was standing and due for re-election last year got effectively got a free year, um, and the councillors that were elected this year have got three-year terms. Oh, and Scott Peter Harris has confirmed that it's twenty twenty-five. Is the, oh, is the year so right. so these guys have only got they're only on a three-year deal. Mm -hmm. So you so they're up again in twenty twenty-four, and then it's twenty twenty-five for the rest year. That's correct. Oh, no, interesting stuff. Yep. Shall we focus on the other, the other? The, let's let's move from local to national, <laughs> and focus on. The weaselly little shrew-faced northerner, or God's honest champion of truth, depending on your perspective. Okay, um, I think you're talking about Dominic Cummings, um, and I wouldn't describe him either way. He's ne he's neither he's neither devil nor messiah. Um, at the end of the he's day, he's a very naughty boy. <laughs> he's not the messiah. He's a very naughty boy. Yes. Um, so. Uh, yes, so his um, call it revenge revelations, if you like, um, but his seven-hour 
um, evidence session to the um, select committee. The common select committee um, basically revealed some kind of headline points. So I've I've got some I've got some bullet points that I've collected from. I've not watched the whole seven hours because, um, to be honest, it would just feel too much. I mean, watching um, full council meetings that are usually you know kind of seven eight plus more hours with a multitude of people speaking, even though there's a couple of people that tend to speak more than others. Um, to have it actually just his voice. No, I'm sorry. That was uh, that was too much to ask for. I'm sorry. I couldn't do it. Come on. What, what have we got in his edited highlights? What do you have to say for himself? Okay. So, um, so he referred to the Department of Health as a smoking ruin and that procurement of PPE was completely hopeless, that there was no functioning data system in March. Um, he repeated um, his previously reported claim that the initial the initial hope was indeed to gain herd immunity until it became clear that the number of deaths would be too high um he says that on the in the 13th of march he he spoke with the um the then deputy cabinet secretary um helen mcnamara who um said that basically the government needed to move to plan b and that she'd been told for years that there was a whole plan for all of this sort of stuff and basically there, there wasn't a plan um, he said that the government didn't support lockdown initially in case um, because they were under the belief that it would make um, the winter situation even worse. Um, he says that he um, spoke to the PM um, about the first lockdown um, and that the PM said that it shouldn't have happened and, and as um, basically wanted to focus on the recovery. Um, he referred to the um, the often revealed shield around care homes, which is something that Matt Hancock um, spoke about, um, that this was nonsense, um, that Matt Hancock had told the cabinet that um, that people would be tested before returning to care homes, um, and this indeed wasn't the case, this wasn't actually happening until, until much later, um, that um, pretty much the government fell on its, fell on its arse, that's my word, not his, um, when Johnson got COVID. Um, he um, said that the PM didn't take COVID seriously and repeatedly claimed that the PM said, um, did say that he would, um, repeated his claim, sorry, that he, the PM did say that um, he'd rather see bodies pile high than enter a third lockdown, um, but changes his mind 10 times a day, um, even contradicting um, the comms team that are trying to brief the media. The PM would you know, pick, effectively pick up the phone and speak to the media directly uh, and give a, uh, give a different view. Um, and... Um, yeah, and I think his kind of main point was that Hancock should be sacked for lying um, and um, claiming that he said, so Dominic Cummings said that he'd um, he'd told the PM that um, lots of people would die if um, Matt Hancock wasn't wasn't fired uh, and that Matt Hancock, according to Dominic Cummings, used the scientists as shields um, and his handling of the situation was unethical. Um, now, I've said that with a straight face without... Um, without kind of choking on the bits of, sorry, Dominic Cummings decided I'm um, judging anybody else to be unethical and criticise them for lying. Um, yeah, is, um, is, what's, the, what's the saying? The saying is that my enemy's enemy... Of the is, enemy of my enemy is, is my, my friend. friend. And that usually turns out to be, a, to be a curse in the sense that, to be fair, our foreign policy history is replete with examples of where that's bit us in the arse. Yes. Um, so my theory with this situation is just because the liar's liar is speaking, it doesn't mean he's saying the truth. Um, I, I, it doesn't mean I disbelieve everything he's saying. There's probably elements of truth in some of these things, but it's very easy for him to sit and reel all of this stuff off without any actual demonstrable uh, I mean, it, proof. It is fantastic, isn't it? And it's, it's that it's element of, I kind of look at it and... You know, didn't he also say something about it's bloody ridiculous that the government would let some yes idiot like me into the centre of government? Yes, yeah. Um, you've literally <laughs> to, and and he also touched on um his trip to Durham, saying that it was a terrible mistake, but that what he hadn't revealed at the time was that there were security threats to him and his him and his family. Um, and the cabinet office had agreed. Um, to move his family out, that his family could move out of London despite their despite their being locked down. Um, take that with with how you want it. Um, I, I mean, I don't know whether that would be something that the, the police would have commented on or why that wouldn't have been raised at the time. I I don't know. I just find 
I just find 10 months later remorse a really strange thing and rewriting of history is obviously very easy for people to well, do. It d- doesn't this doesn't this sound like the longest Facebook post ever after a breakup that <laughs> yes. someone is going to reply with you okay hun x. Um it, it does have that um it does have that the man, he's an absolute bastard. He like he cheated on me, and it's like I'm never going to forgive him again. It's not fair, and it's like I honestly, I tell you, I you know always and and everything. So, um, it it you know may maybe um what motivated him rather than a um a suddenly arriving sense of public duty and commitment to the truth was a desire to i'm no longer being listened to so i'm gonna stick the boot in um i I, I don't know at the end of the day um i don't really want to be in a place where i can understand the inner workings of dominic cummings mind and i definitely don't want to be in a place where i can understand the inner workings of, of forrest johnson's mind nonetheless he said what he said um it raises more concerns and more questions than it probably answers. And for me, it just exemplifies why. One of the things that I definitely agree with him on is that this is why we need the inquiry now rather than in a year's time when people have a chance to misremember, whether intentionally or otherwise, um, or um, lose the documents or the information that, that's going to be really useful. We need to learn those lessons because this is likely to happen again, sadly, and we need to learn those lessons quickly. Yeah, and I think with the brevity that I'm, I'm giving it, we do have to put it against the backdrop of the fact that, you know, look, you know, greatest tragedy of our lifetime. That, that, is, that is very clear. I think the challenge for me in terms of, you know, there is an element i've always held this position since the very start that the government will have made mistakes the government will have got things wrong and the government will you know any inquiry will find shortcomings and which is what he is um I, I've well, got no recollection of his of the stature of dominic cummings i don't know if he's, no, he's, a, he's a small man i think okay well, I mean, the, the berry, the, the, this is relative for a man who's... We're talking about cod psychology here. We're talking about he's got a Napoleon complex. Is that what Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, and bear in mind, I myself am a strategically shaved gorilla. So I do get that these things are relative. But I think there is an element of, you know, his performance is basically to just throw stones in every direction. It is a handful of gravel. It doesn't matter who he gets or... And and I look at that and I think, well, my, you know, one thing that you can say about, you know, there are many things you can say about Dominic Cummings. One of the things you, you have to say is he is not a stupid man. No. He is a clever and cunning man. Yes, but whether he's, whether he turns out to be as at the end of the day, no one, no one's perfect. And I, I don't believe in anyone being either wholly perfect wholly angelic or wholly evil people hum, humans make mistakes yep. um and just how utterly convinced of his own genius i don't know i don't know the man so i'm not you know i'm not going to kind of you know no, judge no, him no, on a personal no, no, level because it's you know that's that that's a but, bit lame for me it's the it's the facts of what we know is that there are things that we don't know and we should we should get to the bottom of them as quickly as possible and that is it for me for me the the primary aim for that has to be to learn the lessons if people are culpable in the sense of they made wrong decisions but they had clear and consistent advice that told them otherwise or there are things that they shouldn't have done then those things need to be aired in daylight and they need to be assessed and they need to be um, responded i agree that there will be there are definitely things that the government have got wrong but i never i didn't expect and i think it was unreasonable it's unreasonable to expect a perfect response but the response has left the dream of perfect way behind and unfortunately there is you know you you can't cover up or you can't you can't hide the fact, as you say, it's been the most disastrous thing to happen in a, in a generation to this country. You know, 130,000 people have lost their lives. Many, many of those may well 
have not lost their lives had the situation been been dealt with differently and had certain decisions been made differently but there are lots of questions to be answered about were the right decisions being made um in the first place why did we why did we go into lockdown too late why are so many contracts going to friends of the conservative party why are so why is there so much u-turning um on the face of existing um advice and scientific advice and all of those things can be easily made as political points well but i'd rather independent an independent inquiry took place to actually understand what happened and i, and I think that, that that is you touch on one of the key points there is you know lockdown too late lockdown too soon lockdown at all lockdown and and i think there is an element of look the overwhelming the the the, the cold hard scientific data now says had we have locked down two weeks earlier we would have got a much better outcome you know that's that's that is what science tells us i think the danger of course when you talk about following the science bear in mind you know I am no longer a scientist, but have always followed, you know, spent most of my career working in science, as as, as your sister and my wife. The fact is that science, science is based on experiment and proving theory. And we're in a situation, we are in a situation where the world has never seen a disease like this in these times. So at that point, science is then based on opinion, expert opinion. But your problem then is that there are as many expert opinions as there are scientists. So, you know, we pull together SAGE and then there's an independent SAGE and both are full of very, very learned, clever people who looking at the same data, looking at the same analysis, come to different conclusions. Indeed. And I don't, I'm this this isn't about trying to be captain hindsight no nope. this this is about actually trying to understand because at the end of the day that what we know scientifically is different now to what we knew in february 2020 but what we did know in february 2020 and i'm you know there were other countries that experienced um that experienced this um this wave of the pandemic quicker than you know sooner than we did you know italy was you know its health system was literally on its knees and they were about three four weeks ahead of us so there were lessons that we could have learned from other countries i i think it's key to understand so for me the the point of the inquiry isn't to find evidence that validates my existing opinion the point of the inquiry is to find out what actually happened and Yep. Do we need to do something different if we're faced in a, di- in, a, in, a in a similar situation again? Because odds, the odds are that we will be, and I'd like the country to fare better than it did this time. Um, and I think and that's, if that's are... absolutely spot on. Uh, uh, and I think that that's where that, that, that becomes valid. I think what it does, though, is it asks, it takes us back to the question of why has noble Dominic now stepped forward yes. and fallen to his knees in repentance and sadness to now tell the truth of which when he was in the heart of the storm and able to tell the truth he remained somewhat tight-lipped during that process and that is what worries me Simon because you said about you know or you touched on the the proving kind of or it's not about proving what I think or what I you know and my question at this point is why is Dom now singing like a canary and as I said he's not a stupid man He's a cunning man. Yes. And my worry is that there is an element of Boris and possibly Matt Hancock finally saw through him and cast him out. And if he can now repay the favour, are there members within the Conservative Party that should their demise benefit them would draw him back into the bosom of government? Um, all of those things are, I mean, they're, they're interesting questions. I mean, obviously they're completely outside of things that, you know, it's a, it's oh, a good, spe- it's good speculation. Yeah, it's a, let's face it, we don't I, always have to deal in facts. Yeah. But I, um, I, at the end of the day, I, to, to kind of circle back to the, you know, we made light of the fact that, he, you know, his response is like a, is like a, is, you know, it's a, like a spurned relationship failure. Um, that, you know, at the end of the day, um, whatever his motivations are, 
there are, you know, there's there's two likely outcomes, aren't there? In in a year's time, Boris Johnson will still be the prime minister, or Boris Johnson won't still be the prime minister. Uh, yes, and there is an element of if Boris Johnson is still the prime minister, then there is no seat at the table anymore for little Dom, is there? Yeah, and but I also wouldn't think it would be likely that there would be a seat at the table for him if there was someone else. Depend, I mean, it, obviously, I guess it depends on who the potential. And we're really, we're really getting into the crystal ball oh, stuff yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there are probably more sensible members of the Conservative Party or elements of the of the party who wouldn't want him within spitting distance of of government again because of basically all of the chaos that he's caused and basically the bad press of actually having him involved with and um the government and one of the things Boris Johnson managed successfully to do in 2019 was sell the idea that he had nothing to do with the government that was before it and therefore sold the idea that he was going to he was going to be a change while being the same Mm, um, yeah, and anyone that follows Boris Johnson into being leader of the Conservative Party and assuming that there isn't some sort of calamity where 40-odd Tory MPs defect to um, to another party, there isn't a chance of there being um, a, you know, a, a vote of no confidence in the House of Commons or a, a, you know, that calling a gen, you know, a calling of a general election unless that's something that, that they agree with. So whoever becomes the new... If Boris Johnson is replaced as is time immemorial history for the Conservative Party. They, they like to stab their leaders in the back. They're good at, they're good at regi- um, uh, regicide. So if Boris Johnson is replaced with someone else, that person's going to be the PM. The last thing they would probably want is someone like Dominic Cummings hanging around the corridors of power because that just makes it look like it's more of the same. So I, I don't think I don't think the, the idea that, you know, there's some sort of Machiavellian plan to put... Dominic Cummings back at the heart of government. I don't think that would work, and I don't think that would bear out. So, you know, will he figure out that he's better off actually helping out, you know, the people that keep shoveling money through the letterboxes of Conservative MPs and ministers? I, d- I don't know. You know, that's that's no. for him to figure out. I'll, t- I'll, you know, he can. I'm not going to give him um, career advice because, to be fair, I think he's he doesn't need my advice. I was going to say he's 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 done okay so far without yeah, it. I he's, guess. He's so not exactly busking, yeah, we'll put it he? down to just a complete uh, meltdown temper tantrum of the jilted spad, and let the record show that hell hath no fury like a spurned spad. Indeed. Indeed. Right. So from we've one gone local, we've gone national. Spud. Yes. Let's go international. Let's go international. So. Um, it's now last week that a Ryanair yeah, flight. Yeah, yeah, week before last. So we've got a situation where a Ryanair flight flying from Greece um, to Vilnius, which is in Lithuania, if my memory serves me right, um, gets close to Belarusian airspace and the on board, the uh, the crew are told that there is a, a, a suspicion of a bomb threat. A Belarusian fighter is then sent up to escort the um, plane down to the nearest airport, which happens to be Minsk in Belarus. The plane lands, everybody is offloaded, and then suddenly the security forces appear and 26-year-old Romain, and I'm going to butcher his name, so apologies, Protesvic and his uh, girlfriend, Sofia Setka, who is a Russian national, are both escorted away by security forces. Um, now, Roman is in self-exile, so um, he, during the uh, recent years, had run a telegram channel called Nectar, which was highly critical of of the um, of the current administration. So Alexander Lukashenko, who is the um, who is the president of Belarus, um, and is there mostly is considered to be the last dictator in Europe. He's been there for twenty six years, and the last presidential elections, the vast majority of people. Um, who observed them said they were dodgy as a box of frogs, and that's the official line. Um, 
and he has become more and more authoritarian as time has gone on. So in his absence, Roman was charged with um, incitement to riot and terrorism. And unfortunately, now he resides in a Belarusian um, security facility. And in terms of the flight itself, um, the uh, another three passengers were missing when the flight finally landed as uh, it was believed that they were KGB agents that had followed him onto the plane. And um, a, a dark day in, in international terrorism. I think Michael O'Leary, the boss of Ryanair, described this as an act of international piracy or international state-sponsored terrorism. And it, it now leaves us with this, this very uncomfortable situation with, if we look at these states that are sort of still aligned to the old old Russia but have a proportion of their citizenship that want to move towards the West I guess the challenge if we look at this is is what can the Western world do to to influence and to bring some sense of of international reasonableness Um, yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's an example of what happens when countries have powers that, um, have the ability to use powers without there being checks and balances that would, um, that would stop them. Um, obviously the, um, the televised confessions, you know, the televised confessions that you would suspect were probably made under duress. Yep. Um, that, um, you know, if you, if you think back, if, um, you know, if you think back to kind of other examples like televised confessions of, um, of military service personnel that were, um, captured in either of the Gulf conflicts and things like that, when you're in a, in a situation where you're, you know, you, you can, you can sing like a canary, but you know, it's not your song. It's someone else's song because you're doing just what you can to stay alive as long as you can, I guess. Um, yep. that, you know, hopefully that's not a situation either of us would, would ever be in. And I can't imagine what it must be like, but, um, I, d I see there's, there's a, there's a bit of me that it's not the, I mean, if we were in a situation are we can we honestly say that the UK government wouldn't if we if there was a plane crossing our airspace that was about to leave our airspace that actually had someone that we considered to be a um basically a, um, a guilty terrorist wouldn't we use kind of similar mechanisms um to force the plane to land so that they were so that we could deal with them in our own jurisdiction um yeah we can we really say that we 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 wouldn't? But the difference is, well, we, would we, we would we say there was a bomb on board? I I, 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 I don't I, think we would. I, to be, I, can I be really honest? I, I I don't know that I could trust our Home Office to not do oh, something like that. I think you've I think you're making a massive stretch. So there's an element of you know at the end of the day, you know it is clear that Belarus has broken every international law. And you're at the situation now where, you know, the EU, the UK and the Americas, America are trying to trying to put sanctions in place against Belarus. But I think the challenge with that is that in a way, you know, it plays to the it plays to the we're better off with Russia. See, the West hate us. You know, we're trying to deal with a terrorist threat. You know, guy's got a telegram channel. At the end of the day, you know, and he's critical of the leader. And again, you can go through, look, I don't speak, I don't speak Belarusian or Ukrainian or Russian. But at the end of the day, there is no suspicion that he's done anything more than shine a light on Europe's last dictator. And he's now imprisoned. He is almost certainly going to be tortured. He will not get a fair trial. And Belarus is the last country in Russia that has the death penalty. I think that's uh, that's that's African despot territory. That's not European nation, is it? Um, 
No, it's it's not. But that's the. I mean, this this is the thing: is that what what powers do other countries have to stop sovereign nations from doing things that actually they could? You know, at the end of the day, I think any reasonable person that hasn't kind of swallowed all of the stuff from the Belarusian government um, would consider to be um, to be an extremist act um, in order to be able to. Um, steal someone effectively um off of a plane to spirit to spirit them away to god knows where um it's kind of hard to know and i think it's the i I get your point about um you know what will sanctions do but drive them into the arms of um you know into, into the arms of um of actors like putin who are quite happy to quite happy to um to prove to um countries that they're much better off um being friends with russia than they are um with the you know with the west and you know their decadent lifestyles um so i i i don't know it's a mess i don't know you know i can't i can't claim to know enough about the history but i'm i'm very very concerned um that such awful things can take place and there isn't actually really anything that the international community can do about it no, and I think that that that's the key piece for me. I think Simon, which is there's there is the saber rattling piece, and and I I I get it, and we make you know we make all the right noises, and the Belarusian you know airline industry isn't allowed now to you know it it can't fly, it can't land in any of civilized kind of societies. So basically, runs backwards and forwards to Russia, but there is that element of you know the any kind of intervention is is going to be you know is going to be it's it just going to be ineffective because it's you know there's talk of economic sanctions and seizing assets and i didn't realize but you know we've already done that to alexander lugachenko and all of his significant henchmen so there is this piece where you kind of look at the you look at it through the lens of you know who is and can be the world's policeman? I think it leaves you to that disturbing conclusion that actually, do you know what? Sometimes stuff like this is going to happen and the world is powerless to act because the cost and the consequence of acting is more significant than the cost of turning a blind eye or just to making a, you know, a gesture you know, be that a feeble or a strong gesture, but it, you can only get into international gesture politics because, and let's be fair, none of us wants to see the West versus Russia in a massive stand, you know, in a massive face-off. Um, no, um, and I should imagine that no, no, no sane person um, would want that. But I guess the, the I mean, the truth is these things don't happen in isolation. They aren't the only, you know, this isn't the only issue um, before the international community in the sense of its relationship as fractured as it is with Belarus. Um, and um, the, 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 the problem is, is that in reality, you know, it should be the um, a decision for the people of that country to make as to what sort of country they want. Mm. Um, and that relies on them having free and fair elections, and it relies on them having access to information that enables them to make informed deci- informed decisions. So, um, in this situation, neither of those things are true. So, um, it, 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 it it's very hard to kind of see what the answer is. But you can see where, to be honest, nationalism, populism ends it 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 goes a particular way it it has a it has a direction of travel and it ends with concentration of power and an abuse of power because that's what happens in any situation whether that's um whether that's a a government on the left or a government on the right in any situation where you have a government that isn't is no longer accountable to the people if it cannot be overthrown Yes. Then it, yeah. it concentrates power to serve its own ends and therefore ceases to serve the people uh, and actually starts to do some really, really horrible things. And that's why it's really frightening when governments start to require or seek powers to enable it to do things like that. Because maybe the government that asks for that power isn't aren't the bad guys. But you've got to bear in mind that 
okay, but the government that comes after it or the government that comes after that might not be. Absolutely. And that's, you know, again, I've, I've been following the situation in Hungary, you know, which is, is, you know, as you say, it is about that populism piece where, and Hungary, you know, unlike the UK works on a constitution where currently they have such a significant populist majority, they are able to reconstruct the constitution. That means that to change that in the future, you can only change it when you have got a two thirds majority in their elected house. Well, that's only ever happened once in the history of their whole democratic process. And the kind of the populist government currently in power is basically changing everything it possibly can do now because it knows that the the opposition is never going to be in a position that they're in now but they've tied the hands of that you know of, of, of hungary into the future so it is a terrifying thing when when you know these things happen and the international community is 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 powerless to to intervene it, or to help so i think it, it it brings us back to the fact that whilst you know if we look at the where we started which is the portsmouth city council a long way from belarus but ultimately the the people of portsmouth had their democratic say and their elected representatives gathered and chose not to endorse the largest party with the largest vote share chose to endorse what they thought was best for the people of Portsmouth. And whilst I might be a bit grumpy about that, I can't really complain. Um, I mean, it doesn't usually stop you, so <laughs> it wouldn't be a surprise. But no, you're, for me, the, the key thing to think of is that democracies are fragile things. Um, and we've often talked about low voter turnout. And we've often talked about low voter engagements with elections. But actually, the biggest threat to democracies doesn't come from tanks. It doesn't come from bombs. It doesn't come from weapons and guns. It actually, it's it's more sly than that. The biggest mm. the biggest threats to to a democracy are um, cunning, manipulative. They whisper lies in your ear and convince you that they're truths. Um, and how much of that you think has been going on um, in this country in the last five to ten years might depend on your viewpoint. And I don't want to sound alarmist, but there are some stuff that really let's let's get to let's get to truth. Let's get to honesty. Absolutely. Um, and, and again, and let's get to voting. That has, the thought that struck me as we've constructed this podcast, if any party. And I'm going to use the word any party could motivate 15% of any ward to vote for them next time that didn't vote this time, they would win all 14 seats. Yes. So this, and, but the interesting thing is that most parties operate on the fact of they go by the they go on the marked register, so they tend to yeah. focus their attention on the people that they know that vote. Yep. So, and that, so you know, aside from the people that aren't even registered to vote, the people that are registered to vote but don't, most parties would target the people that actually bother to vote because they know that there's no point trying to convince someone to vote for you if they never actually bother to vote, right? It's like trying to agree on what film it is but never buying a ticket. There's there's little yeah. there's little point in it. So, but is that is that is that the missing piece? But it, yeah. is it like the uh, the two shoe salesmen who go to Africa, and they both ring back, and one says, "There is no possibility to sell shoes here. Nobody wears shoes," and the other one phones back and says, "There's infinite possibility to sell shoes here. Nobody wears shoes." Mm, well, that's uh, that's an interesting point. Um, so maybe going after the people who don't vote is the better answer than going after the people that do. Maybe so. I mean, it, um, um, documentaries since have, have demonstrated that that's, that's effectively what happened in the 2016 referendum. Um, and locally, I, I think that was a big piece of um, George Madgwick's success in Paulsgrove was that pe True. lots of people that previously hadn't taken the opportunity to vote because they... For you know, for whatever for whatever reasons, felt that um, it wasn't worth doing. 
actually were given a reason that it was worth doing and that they actually had something to gain from doing so. Um, and, you know, he was very successful at doing that. So it, it's so, an interesting thing. No assumptions. Exactly. So on that on that local Pompey, let's motivate the electorate to vote like in 2016. Let's see whether the Portsmouth Liberal Democrats engage Dom Cummings for next year's campaign. I don't think that's going to happen. You've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I've been Simon Sandsbury. And I am Ian Tiny Morris. And don't forget to join us at 6.27 on Sunday when we'll be welcoming on newly elected councillor for Charles Dickens, Kirsty Miller. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics podcast, blue and yellow till we die from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. stop. See? It's easy.